Well, good morning. In today's sermon, I'm going to be using um, the pronouns us and we a lot, uh, or quite a bit anyway. And while at times these words may indeed refer to you and I specifically, uh, they also refer collectively to the church and, and more broadly to society. So please don't be offended because none is intended. So, if I had to pick one word to sum up life as it, as it exists around us today, June 28th, 2020, I think that word would be conflict. Conflict is all around us. We see it in our cities, all around our nation, and, and even all around the world. On a more local level, we see it in our schools, in some churches, in our workplace, in our own families, and of course, all over Facebook, Twitter, and, and other social media. Individually, we have to admit that one of the greatest sources of conflict in our lives is our inability or our unwillingness to submit to God. Conflict, it can occur when we're torn by important decisions that we need to make. Instead of calling on God first and then submitting to him and his will for us, too often we end up rejecting God's will for us. And sometimes, or perhaps often, we do this without even realizing it. The problem is certainly a weakness for our humanity today, just as it has been since the fall of man way back in the Garden of Eden. It's all about how we each choose to exercise the free will that God allows us. The pages of the Holy Scriptures are full of examples of man rejecting God and his will, of man's free will being out of sync with the will of God. Just think back to the day that, that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on that triumphant Palm Sunday 2,000 years ago. The crowds were cheering and they were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. See, the people had a, an opportunity to exercise their free will and either choose to call upon Jesus as their Lord and Savior or to reject him. They had a free will choice to make. In just a few short days, those same people who were cheering Hosanna would soon be crying out, crucify him. Those who hailed him as Messiah today would tomorrow call for his death. They would acknowledge no authority over their lives other than their own. They remained firmly entrenched as rulers of their own lives. And that same scene unfolds day after day in our everyday lives. Jesus comes humbly riding in over towards our direction and we're all eager to receive his favors. We want to be blessed with his blessings. We're excited about how he might benefit us, admit it or not, or how we might be able to use Jesus. But when we learn that he doesn't come into our lives unless we really surrender his, over, to, over to him, to his lordship, we, we think again about how much Jesus we really want. You see, I think that reality, not COVID-19, is the true plague on our society today. That reality, it's one of the biggest obstacles for non-Christians who are faced with the decision about whether or not to become a Christian. But it can also be one of the biggest obstacles for some who have been lifelong Christians. You want to have the benefits of 
Jesus Christ being in our lives, but we want to maintain control. We want him to come in, but only into a comfortable, quiet part of our lives. We don't want him taking over everything. We want God in our lives, but we want him in a very private, tidy little corner of it. We want Jesus to be our friend, a friend we can talk to, a friend who will listen, a friend who will give us whatever we need, but not a friend who will challenge us and call us to the highest form of commitment, surrendering our lives over to him. If we're truly honest with ourselves, we have to admit that we want to maintain control at least over certain aspects of our lives. Now, while the rate of growth is slower than the overall population growth, more and more people become Christians each year. And that's good news. But at the same time, there's also a decline in the moral climate of our nation, of our world, and, and even of our churches. Many people are becoming Christians and, and even church leaders without it making any real difference in the way they live their life. When this happens, tremendous conflicts are created in our lives. In Galatians chapter 5 at verse 17, St. Paul writes, For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. You see, there's a war that's raging in your soul, a battle to see who will be in control of your life. Well, when they're in the midst of this spiritual battle, there is conflict, and that conflict brings frustration and unhappiness, and as a result, the peace we all long for, it can be elusive. The book of James speaks to this problem. James tells us that there's a spiritual war going on inside each one of us. And the first thing he has to say about it is that the source of the conflict is selfishness. He writes in chapter 4, What causes wars and what causes fighting among you? Is it not your passions that are at war in your members? You desire and do not have, and so you kill. You covet, cannot obtain, so you wage war. You do not have because you do not ask. And you, do, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. See, James isn't just talking about our desire to enjoy life. We all want that. But he's talking about a self-indulgent lifestyle, one that encourages us to walk all over others in order to, to please ourselves, to get what we want. Many people who indulge in only pleasing themselves, they find that when pleasure eludes them, conflict and war arises. And James makes it clear that a war is going on inside of our heart and our soul. God wants you to give him control, but you want to maintain control. And Satan is constantly cheering you on. And don't get me wrong, we want God, but we also want life on our terms. We want God, but we also want to continue life just as we please. James says that people that are like that are double-minded. It's a comment he makes over and over all through his short letter. James rightly takes issue with double-minded people because deep down their faith isn't really real. It's filled with hypocrisy and they're acting and it's not truly genuine. 
You see, if you fully embrace Jesus and give him all of you, you will, in all likelihood, have to give up something. Our inner struggle stems from the fact that we want God and we want our own desires. But James reminds us that we can't have it both ways. In fact, James says that people who live this way pray only selfish prayers with improper motives. They pray for God to give them things simply so they can spend them on their desires and on their own pleasures. When we pray that way, we're no different than the people in Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. One moment praising God and the next moment shouting crucify. I really believe that, that this problem is the source of the mess that we see all around us today. In his book, The Sacred Romance, author Brent Curtis talks about how our divided hearts try to meet our spiritual void by filling them with other more readily available pleasures. He says, once we allow our heart to drink water from these less than eternal wells, with the goal of finding the life we were made for, it overpowers our will and becomes, as Jonathan Edwards said, like a viper hissing and spitting at God. This reality can be seen all around us in the materialistic-based society that we live in. Many, many people have replaced the right worship of God with the wrong worship of things and of self. The selfless passion for Christ of the martyrs of the church that has been replaced with a selfish competition with the Joneses, a fanatical drive to make more, to spend more, to have more, not to be used for God's glory, but for our own selfish glory. Society has rebelled against God, and instead of casting our eyes on God, we turn our eyes on ourselves, and instead of it being all about him, it becomes all about me. James tells us that the result of this conflict is rebellion. Resistance to God's will for our lives ultimately leads to the outright rebellion against God. When selfishness rules our lives and, and God comes to claim us, what happens? We find a viper within, hissing and spitting. We're determined to have our own way. My life on my terms. We become enemies of God. And we've sought out another love, and as a result, we've divided, we have a divided loyalty. James says this, unfaithful creatures, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or you do, do you suppose in vain that the scripture says, he yearns jealousy, jealously over the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. What a profound statement that is. God yearns jealously for your spirit. All too often we become spiritually unfaithful trying to love the world when we're meant to love God. In Exodus chapter 20 verse 5 God says, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. You see, you were made by him and for him and he wants you, he yearns for your spirit. Problem is, we're too busy at someone else's house. We're trying to meet our needs other ways. Too often we 
choose to be part of the world instead of being part of God's kingdom. We make that choice all the time without even realizing it because we don't give it enough thought. I've said it many times, the world is so upside down. Our society and even some churches have convinced us that even if it is self-destructive, bad is good, good is bad. Because God allows us free will, he will allow us basically to be as bad as we want to be. But be sure of this, there are consequences to our choices. Trying to meet our eternal longing for intimacy and love and meaning and fulfillment with God instead, with the pleasures of the world, is doomed to a failure and a frustration and ultimately personal destruction. One of the negative comments today against traditional conservative churches is that, well, we aren't tolerant of other people. Yet the call of the gospel is not to be tolerant. The call of the gospel is to demonstrate Christian love to those who don't know Christ. Nowhere and at no time does Jesus say we must tolerate the sinfulness of the world. That's a grave error some churches make today, an error Satan bends over backwards trying to convince us of. And James tells us we have a choice. Friendship with the world or friendship with God. When Jesus said, you can't serve two masters, he means that the choice is either God or the world. When you try to split your allegiance between the two, you can never be fully devoted to either one. Now, obviously, the call of the church is to devote your life to Jesus. But when our society turns our face away from God, we are instead worshiping another God, a false God. This rebellion is not just a battle to have our way over God's way. See, there aren't three choices, God's way, my way, or the devil's way. There are really only two choices. To rebel against God is to choose the devil's way. He's the one the world desires because he makes us think he'll provide us with the things that we want. He even tries to convince us that the things that we want are the things that we need. He is the viper now within us who tempts us to hiss and to spit at God. Make no mistake about it. The war for our souls and the souls of our nation is on. And the battle lines are drawn. In today's gospel lesson, Jesus said, Do not think that I have come to bring peace on earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. And so the question is this. Who are you fully devoted to following? Is it Jesus? Will you pick up your cross and follow him? Or is it Satan who says, there's no need for repentance. God loves and accepts you just as you are. 
You don't have to suffer. You're saved because you're a good person. You don't have to go to church. You don't need all that. You don't have to help. Just focus on helping yourself. Enjoy life. Party. Do your own thing. Find pleasure now. You can always turn to God if you really feel that you have to. But don't worry. You're just fine. You're good. James reminds us that there is a clear solution to this spiritual war, this inner conflict. And that solution is submission to God. James says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you men of double mind. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to dejection. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Submit, resist, draw near, cleanse, purify, grieve, mourn, weep, change, and humble yourselves. James is telling us that we've been resisting God, and now we must resist the devil. We've been giving in to sin, now we must submit to God. We've been full of passion for the things of the world, now we must be full of passion for God and for the things of the Spirit. We've been laughing it up, now we must grieve over our sin in true repentance. Our soul has been contaminated by sin and now we must cleanse ourselves. We've been proud and now we must humble ourselves before God. See, James is talking about being an authentic Christian. We will, as individuals, I'm sorry, will we, as individuals, as the church, and as a nation, will we submit to God or to the devil? My brothers and sisters in Christ, this is one of the hardest things that you'll ever be asked to do in your life. In fact, it is the hardest thing that you'll ever be asked to do. Living a Christian life takes a constant commitment to surrender to God and to focus your attention on Him instead of on the world. It's so hard to do because Satan and the things of the world are constantly competing for our time and our attention. But again, James reminds us that if we flee from the devil, if we run from him, if we kick him out of our lives, he will have no choice except to flee from us. The only power that he has over us is the power that we allow him to have. Of course, there is a prerequisite, and that is that we submit ourselves to God, that we chase after him. Do you know what happens when we seek God, when we chase after him? God will, in turn, draw near to us. Chase after him, and he will allow himself to be caught. Think back to when you were a child. The game we all played, hide and seek. The biggest part of the fun was getting caught. And in the same way, God desires for us to seek him. And when we do, he promises to allow himself to be caught. But again, it's a choice, a free will choice. It's a matter of choosing to submit ourselves to him, choosing to do it willingly, repentantly, and with our whole being, body, 
spirit, and soul. The problem in the world around us, it's conflict and selfishness. And the solution is the peace that is found in Christ alone. So submit yourself to God. He yearns jealously for your spirit. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.